Hello, and welcome back to Life in Anth. I'm your host, Lily Forrester, and I'm glad to have you back and listening. Our show is dedicated to breaking down the access barriers to anthropology as a discipline and spreading the conversation far and wide so as to have the largest, most positive possible impact. Last episode, we did a preliminary dive into ethnomusicology, so if you're a music lover, particularly if you have an interest in the social politics surrounding queer musicians, please do be sure to give that a listen. I'll drop the link in our show notes. Our topic for today is born out of a college campus. It's no surprise that a space for academia breeds academic discussion, but this particular setting may seem less than studious. Today's topic is born out of a frat party. Welcome to More Is Less. Let's get into it. There's a famous frat house near where I attended school whose main attraction is cages where the women, or girls, as is the colloquial norm within the space, dance as if trapped by the brothers. It's a popular tradition to take part, even among my peers at a historically women's college, which may hit the ear as a bit shocking for some people. But on which side of the aisle you fall on this matter centers on a larger ideological divide that can be seen far beyond the four walls of a frat party. In fact, It's really everywhere you look. This issue is that of the sexual liberation for women, which today we will explore through the lens of an evolving women's fashion. Following decades of sexual repression and financial dependence manifesting in internalized misogyny, is it empowering for a woman to express her sexuality outwardly, or does it put her in a cage? My name is Mimi and I'm 17 years old. That's Mimi, our first interlocutor. She's also my youngest sister and a strong touch point I have for understanding how the teens think. As I'm sure she would tell you, that is not my strongest suit, so be glad to have her here. Hi, I'm Trish, and I am 51 years old. That's my mom, Trish. She and Mimi represent cross-generational positionalities, which, given that they've lived in the same household for the last 17 years, should theoretically account for their philosophical differences on the matter. I also feel it's relevant to note that Mimi is definitely a plugged-in kid, so she's exposed to many of the prevailing social narratives of her generation, Gen Z, on TikTok. My mom is also plugged in, but is predominantly a Facebook user, as is the norm for Gen X. I would describe my own style as very laid back. I do not get dressed very often, basically ever. I wear sweatpants and sweatshirts basically every day, very oversized, usually double XL. I definitely think women's fashion right now has become more scandalous. Uh, I mean, like, I don't think that my friends do it necessarily, but I think that that's just a trend that has occurred. I mean, I think people younger and younger girls begin wearing clothing that tends to be more what you would expect a mature woman to wear and not necessarily scandalous, but sometimes showing more cleavage or wearing shorter skirts. When I was 17, the big brands out were uh, Outback Red and Forenza, which were like exclusive clothing lines to the Limited, which now has become a women's clothing line. But when I was a teenager, it was very much a teen, teen fashion. And so Outback Red was kind of like an Australian Outback feel, like culottes and jodfers and a lot of hats and blousey rayon shirts. And Forenza had more of an elegant Italian feel. But 
you know, generally speaking, the clothes were not form fitting. They were oversized, high waisted, blousey. It was not super revealing. I was a teenager in the 80s. Have you come into contact now with a liberation movement that says that scandalous clothing is in some way empowering? I don't think I've come across a movement where people say scandalous clothing is more empowering. Truthfully, this one surprised me and cast a light on the distance between me and a high schooler. Mimi never having heard that said explicitly, either in person or online, means we really have entered a new era. But she did admit to having seen the effects of it play out. Like when people get attacked for wearing scandalous clothing, which still happens, there's still a lot of people who will be like, wow, you just want a lot of attention. I think that people will respond to it by saying it. It's like, I can wear whatever I want. The same cannot be said for my mother, who needed no introduction to the perspective. Generally, the women, the young women today are dressing more risque than they did when I was a teenager. However, risque dress when I was a teenager was thought to be trying to attract the attention of men. And now it, it seems more like a move of empowerment. Like, I want to wear this because I think I look beautiful in it and you can't really say anything about it. And I am totally appreciative of that. The difference in perspective between my mom and Mimi brings us to our first anthropological concept of the day, body politics. In anthropology, Body politics refers to the ways in which societies and cultures regulate, control, and negotiate the human body as a site of power, identity, and social meaning. The choices individuals make about their attire, especially when it comes to expressing sexuality, are intrinsically tied to the politics of the body. Body politics encompasses the societal norms, expectations, and power dynamics linked to one's physical form. In the context of evolving women's fashion, the clothing choices women make can be seen as both an act of empowerment and a negotiation within the larger body politics landscape. I think it will evolve not to be, but I think kind of taking what started out to be a male perception of fashion, you know, because it's pleasing to them to look at women in these clothes, right? I think it's very possible that it's just like a, a facade that is set outwardly so that they don't have to admit that it is uh, a male gaze situation. Mimi suggests the possibility that women dressing provocatively could be a facade, a means of deflecting from the reality of the male gaze, emphasizing the lens through which people might perceive these choices. Well, the thing that men, I guess, classically do to women is, I mean, just in, I guess, stereotypical sense would be, firstly, always be talking to several women and only valuing your time if you are going to do something sexual with them. But like, I don't think that's exactly what's happening. Like, that's just like not the mindset. It's not because the women like want the sex. I think it's because they want to do the same thing. <laughs> like just get back at those men. Mimi highlights a potential shift in dynamics, describing a desire to reverse roles, while my mom acknowledges that some perceive such choices as empowering. These perspectives offer a glimpse into the complex interplay between individual expression, societal expectations, and power dynamics in the realm of the body politics.
If you find body politics interesting, you may want to check out philosopher Judith Butler's 1993 work, Bodies That Matter, on the discursive limits of sex, in which she challenges conventional notions of gender and sex, emphasizing the performative aspects of identity. These performative aspects take us nicely into our next concept for the day, symbolic anthropology. Consider clothing as more than a functional necessity. In many ways, our clothes are as much us as are our bodies. Barring tattoos, in the absence of clothing, there is relatively little on our skin that we chose to represent. What we put on top is how we signal who we are, our affiliations, our swagger, or our seriousness. Symbols can be extremely powerful tools of freedom, or they can be weaponized. In context, that means that clothing, rather than liberating, can become a tool of oppression. Women may find themselves caught in a cycle where societal norms dictate the need for sexualized presentation, perpetuating a narrative that defines their worth by their adherence to certain standards. The symbols they've placed on their bodies may be chosen under the weight of external expectations, shaping an identity that may feel restrictive, performative, or even sexualized and objectified, rather than authentic. In this complex web of symbolism, clothing can both empower and constrain, reflecting the complex interplay between individual expression and societal pressures in a particular TikTok kind of group where everything is oversized and you basically are, it begs more of a, I don't know, I don't know if androgynous is the right word, but it, it's not gender specific. So that's the division I was having trouble with. My mom's observation about the trend of oversized clothing in certain TikTok groups raises intriguing mm. questions about how symbols, in this case, clothing size and style, contribute to the construction of gender identity. The choice of oversized clothing challenges traditional gender norms, blurring the lines between masculine and feminine presentations. This highlights the symbolic power of clothing to subvert established expectations and redefine cultural norms. They want to be perceived as like sexual people earlier on, which is like weird, I think. But I think that people just want to feel attractive younger now. I don't know like how we got there, but I feel like that's part of it. Mimi's perspective on the desire to be perceived as sexual at a younger age introduces another layer to the symbolic nature of clothing. It raises questions about how societal expectations and cultural narratives influence individuals' choices in self-presentation. The symbolism of clothing in this context becomes a means of navigating societal perceptions of attractiveness and evolving norms surrounding sexuality. Symbolic anthropology encourages us to consider how symbols and cultural meanings are negotiated and constructed through clothing choices. Through this lens, we gain insights not only into individual expressions, but also into the broader cultural context that shapes our understanding of identity, gender, and the societal expectations that fall out from each. The construction and performance of gender and sexuality through clothing was a focal point of 1980s feminist anthropology. This loops back to the notion of performativity that we explored in our last episode, not necessarily to say that in dressing in a performative way, we are performing an identity that is not true to ourselves, but that all identity is, in some way, a performance. Bravo! Herein lies an anthropological paradox, mm. and one that can be applied very broadly. We've spent the better part of this episode on the debate about the supposed empowerment of revealing clothing. Does it actually make women feel good about themselves, or does the response to it? And if the former, would those same clothes make women feel good about themselves in the absence of the response? in the absence of a power structure that has pervaded gender relations since the dawn of time. Truthfully, while a useful socio-political question, anthropologically, it may not be answerable. That paradox that I referenced is the coexistence of performativity and authenticity. 
The fact that we all perform an identity that represents where we believe we fit into a predetermined societal structure does not mean that that identity is inauthentic. We can ponder hmm. who we would be, what we would believe, what we would eat, what we would wear, if there were no societal pressure, no oppression of women or internalized misogyny. But we can never know. It is likely that much more about our personalities and our lived experiences would be different than we think. Perhaps no one would wear clothes at all. Maybe we'd wear several more layers. Really? We can't know. We cannot conceive of our own identities in the absence of the laws of our existence, because those laws are the basis on which we have built our sense of identity, of self. the outlook for women's fashion and the social context surrounding it what where would you say is best for it to go and can women ever really come out victorious in this battle well i don't know i would say the only way that women can really be victorious about it is to stop caring about the male gaze that's the only way to really control your own circumstance i wonder do you think that's inevitable? Uh, I, you know, I don't. It's just if women advance more, then I feel like it will be better. Well, we'll see if that can happen. Wait and see is really all we can do. In the meantime, we wear what we want. We wear what makes us feel good, powerful, and in control. And whatever that means for each one of us, we were always going to anyway. Anthropology would say that's because we are who we are, not because it is inevitable but because we have been told who we are and where we fit in since the day we were born and our identity, our hair, our tattoos, our clothes, all fall out from there. To recap today, we define the concept of body politics and anthropology as well as symbolic anthropology and provided historical context for feminist anthropology in the 1980s and its relevance to topics discussed throughout. We also brought back the concept of performativity to break down an anthropological paradox of identity, of which there are several. We wanna hear from you. So if you think of a paradox of identity you've noticed in your own life, send us an email at lily at zoomcatchers.us. We'd love to talk anthropology with you. Check out the links in the description of today's episode if you want further reading on feminist anthropology or body politics. There are decades of work to move through on the topic and moving through chronologically is a really interesting way to understand the historical arc of the movement. If you like today's episode, tell your friends and leave us a review. That feedback is invaluable as we work to build up a listener base. And if you have suggestions for topics to cover, drop us a comment on our YouTube channel or send us an email and we'll place our most critical lens on it immediately. Stay tuned for more episodes to come and by all means, go ruin some parties with your newfound knowledge. Until next time, so long. <laughs>